Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to John 13. And we're going to look at that for just a moment. It'll also be up here on the screen. And you can look at that, and we're going to kind of go through that story. Over the past several weeks, we mentioned we've been looking at our culture, who we are, the culture of Muncie First Church. That's our core values. What is it that we are? Who are we supposed to be? And our culture is what we expect, what we want people at Muncie First Church to look like and to be in their homes, at work, here at the church. It's how you live. It's how you behave. It's the things we're supposed to practice and live out daily. It's not something that you do when you come to church. It's who we are. It's it's what makes us up as people. And I don't consider the things that we've been talking about, and Ian did a great job the last two weeks, and, and we talked about before that. I don't consider these things we've taught over the past week suggestions. They're not something that's up for grabs. I'll, I'll do this one and this one, but not that one. These are things that we are supposed to be as Christians and as believers and as people uh, of God. And and we're supposed to live these out. They're mandates on how the church and how how Muncie First Church specifically is supposed to live and act in our everyday life. It's the way you act at home. It's the way you act at play on the golf course, in traffic, in the church. I started off in the first week talking about Jesus at the very center, and I painted the picture of the wagon wheel, and in the very center of that wheel is the hub, and in the hub of that wheel is Jesus. Everything revolves around Jesus. Nothing in the world matters if we don't have Jesus. If we miss that, then we've missed everything. If we get all the others right and miss out on putting Jesus at the center, then we've missed it all. He is at the center and around which everyday life revolves. When we're at work, at home, at play, on good days, and on bad days. Anybody here ever have bad days? Jesus is at the center even on bad days. I'm learning that. He's at the center in life and he's at the center in death. He's at the center when you're happy and when you're sad. He's at the center, the purpose, the hub around which all of life revolves. And all things and always in all things, Jesus is the center, the focus of our lives. And that's got to be the very heart of who we are. The second thing is this. We taught that we at Muncie First Church are never to do life alone. And you say, why is that so important? Well, I think it's so important because Jesus mandated it. He sent his disciples out two at a time. He didn't send them out to live life by themselves. Doing life alone is setting yourself up to fail. I promise you. When you go out and try to do it by yourself, you're going to fail. You're going to find yourself in a mess. It makes us vulnerable to Satan and his discouraging schemes. I promise you that if you're trying to do life alone, that when Satan gets a chance, he will discourage you. He will defeat you. He will beat you up makes you easy picking for Satan and his demonic schemes. makes it easy to get off track. So we never do life alone. We always find someone to do life with us. Third is this. We believe very clearly that the culture here at Munchie First Church is to be less and not more. And you go, what does that mean exactly? And I'll give you it in a nutshell. We can program, we can plan, and we can wear ourselves out trying to attract a crowd. But what we really need to do here at Muncie First Church is not just attract the crowd. We want to make God more. Jesus has to be at the center, as I've already said, and we must make him our focus. It's all about him. 
and we need to follow his leading and we need to be willing to rest and trust that he will guide us to do what he has planned this is not about us at all this church is not about us at all it's all about him and we're not out trying to program and to out program the world so that we can draw a crowd or a bigger crowd Rather, we are here to pray, to pray, to pray, and seek God with all of our heart, with all of our, and seek His directions, and to follow that leading. That's why we're here. That's what we're doing. And it may mean that some things that you have held near and dear to your heart over all the years have to be taken and put aside. Their time has come. They're, they're done. They're finished. And we set those aside because they're in the way. And so to get to where God wants us to go, we may have to put them away. Some things have to change. And God may have to stretch the wineskins into a different shape, or he may have to give us completely new wineskins altogether. But it's all about him, and it's about doing what he wants, and it's about becoming less, not more. Our culture is also to be a disciple and a learner. Each one of us are to be a disciple first. That means that there's not any of us who are not learning, who are not growing, who are not meeting in some sort of small group where we are having someone pour into us. We are meeting with someone who can tell us, hey, that's not the right direction, or hey, you need to be careful, or hey, you're on the right track, and let me encourage you. Every one of us needs to be in discipleship. I meet with guys online each week for an hour, and we disciple. We're discipled by Jesus. We have him speak into us, and we speak into each other's lives. Guys who are, who are younger than me, some who are older than me, but we're all together and we speak into each other's lives. We're learning, we're growing, we're changing. We're all a step or two ahead of others though. And so not only are we learning, but we're teaching others. Each one of us should be bringing people around us and showing them the way, pointing the way to Jesus. Let me show you how to live out this life so that you can be successful in it. And we're not learning just to satisfy our knowledge. Oh, I'm glad for knowledge, and it's fine. I went to seminary, and I got a bunch of knowledge that I can't use. It's fine to know, but it really doesn't apply directly. I'm not hungry for knowledge. I'm hungry for Jesus, and I want to give you Jesus. I want to step ahead of you and say, this is the path. Here's the stones. If you'll step on these, you'll be successful. And this is Jesus' command to us in Matthew 28. Go make disciples. Our culture in Muncie First Church, we, our culture calls us to invite others. Ian did a great job of preaching that the other day. Muncie First Church is not an exclusive club. It doesn't belong to us. This is not our property. This is God's church. This is his property. And we're here to invite. We're an ever-widening circle. We're mandated by Jesus to invite people to come and see. And we've been given the best news in the world. I love the news that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins, don't you? And what good news we have. Christ has come. He died. He was raised from the dead. Death was defeated. We've been forgiven. We've been set free of sin. We've been given hope in a very hopeless world. When I hear the world talking about hopelessness, I want to yell, hey, guess what? I know where you can find hope. And that's what we need to be doing. How could we in good conscience just sit still on the news and just keep it to ourselves. We must invite and invite and invite any and all people to hear Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's alive and he changes everything. 
Our culture mandates that Muncie First, people, uh, First Church people are a giving people. And again, Ian preached this last week, and it was so good. Much is required of those who've been given much. I look out here at this congregation of people today, I realize that I'm preaching to some of the richest people in the world. And you laugh, you go, not me, yeah, you. Because you have a home, you have a beautiful car that you drove here in, you have food to eat today, you are by far richer than most of the people in the world. God has blessed us beyond measure. We've heard also the good news, and that is the facts. We are rich because of what has happened we were born in a nation where the good news of Jesus Christ is shared freely and easily, at least so far. We are mandated by Jesus to love others as he has loved us, as, as Nathan was talking about just a little bit ago. Love others as Christ has loved us. Jesus loved us best by giving his life, and we are called to do likewise. We're called to serve. And serving doesn't mean just money. Serving, or give. Giving doesn't mean just money. It means giving of our time, our talents our treasures, and all these things make up the circle, which we call the church. And today I want to add one more to that. Our culture at Muncie First Church is a culture of service. Saved people serve people. Believe that. Jesus didn't call us just to sit. He said he saved us to do good works that he's called us to do. We are saved to serve. And I want to teach that this morning. We here at Muncie First Church want to live out the idea that saved people, that is people who have met the resurrected Jesus and have had their life changed and their sins forgiven, are called to serve others. Now, I believe Jesus set this in place before he was crucified and by his crucifixion. And we read about it in John chapter 13, starting in verse 1. And it was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, and having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, you are going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And I looked up that word never, and it means never forever. I mean, it's, a, it's an adamant never. It's not a, oh, I don't think you should do that. It's a Never, ever, ever, as long as I live, shall you ever touch my feet, Jesus. And Jesus answered him and said, unless I wash you and wash you, you will have no part with me. And then Lord Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you're clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. And when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You called me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So picture it with me, if you will. It's the evening meal, Passover. The disciples have set this up. We've read about that many times. And Jesus is preparing to eat the Passover meal with his 12 
disciples, they're all sitting there together. They're reclining there around the table as was the custom. The disciples that had prepared the meal had failed to make arrangements to have a servant there who would do the serving and who would wash their feet when they came in as was custom. So Jesus is looking around and he's realizing this and he sees in this uh, situation an opportunity for him to minister or to speak into and to teach in the lives of his uh, as disciples so he got up from the table and he removes his outer robe and you can begin to see this he takes his outer robe off he hangs his robe on a peg by the door and he walks over to a wash basin he picks up the basin and he takes it over he pours water into it picks up a clean towel puts it over his shoulder wraps another towel around his waist and he goes over to Judas there's a collective gasp I cannot believe the master is doing this what's wrong with him he goes over to Judas and he kneels down before him. And he begins to unloosen his sandals. He takes the washcloth, he dips it in the basin. And he begins to wash the feet of Judas, the one he knows will betray him. There's a collective gasp. What in the world is he doing? By wrapping this robe around his waist, by wrapping this towel around his waist, I should say, Jesus the rabbi, the teacher, had assumed the role of servant or even slave. And then he begins to kneel and he begins to do the lowliest task that anyone could ever be asked to do, to wash someone else's feet. Jesus washed the feet of his followers. Normally it's the slave who washes the master's feet, but here's the master washing the feet of the followers. In Judea in those days, people wore open-toed sandals or shoes, and they walked, and the roads were dusty, and it was hot, and it was sweaty, so their feet would sweat, and they would collect dust, and they'd get toe jam and gunk between their toes. Their feet smelled like early youth boys in canvas shoes with no socks. You get in the picture? Anybody's ever been to camp and slept in the same room with early youth boys? It is a smell you can never get out of your mind. It has been permanently burned there. It's just gross. Anybody here grossed out by feet? Anybody? There's a few of you. Yeah. Well, Jesus finished washing Judas' feet, and he wiped them with the towel, and he moved over to Philip and Nathaniel, Matthew, and one by one, Jesus stoops and washes the feet of his disciples. Finishes washing his friend John's feet there's only one left and he walks over and kneels down in front of Peter Peter knows that this isn't right he knows this is messed up he knows his place he knows that Jesus is the master the teacher he's not he heard God when he spoke to him at Jesus baptism this is my son of whom I'm well pleased he heard him say it again up on the Mount of Transfiguration he knows who Jesus is he's the Messiah and Peter knows gods don't wash mere mortals' feet. But Jesus kneels before Peter and he looks at him and there's so much love there. It's an amazing moment. Peter has his feet tucked up underneath him. He's sitting on him because he doesn't want Jesus to get to his feet. If he's going to get to him, he's going to have to wrestle him for it. And Jesus says, Peter, let me wash your feet. Peter's indignant and he proclaims loudly, no, Lord, you'll never wash my feet. 
And what Jesus, or what Peter meant was, no, Lord, you'll never, ever, as long as I live, ever wash my feet. And Peter wanted no part of this. He understood the hierarchy of things. He knew his place. And he would have been fine if it was James or John who was washing his feet. I mean, those two rascals had just been talking about who was the greatest and who was going to sit in the right and the left with, and was leaving out everyone else. So Peter felt a little bit better than them. He hadn't, he hadn't acted like that. And so, you know, it would have been okay if they washed his feet. But Jesus, you'll never wash my feet. But see, Jesus was doing far more than just washing feet. He was setting an example and he was teaching a hard reality and truth. And so Jesus gently tells him, Peter, here's the deal. Unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. See, Jesus is washing their feet as an example of what is to come and what he has to do. Peter, unless I wash away your sins, unless I wash away the dirty part of you, unless I deal with the worst part of you and become the sacrifice for your worst sins, you will have no part with me. That's really what he's telling them. Now Peter understands and he's like, okay, then wash my hands. My, hey, uh, here, I'll just take a bath. You give me a bath. Jesus washes Peter's feet and he dries them and he takes the towel and basin back to the stand, puts his robe back on. He comes over and he sits down and he says, I have set an example that you should do for others as I've done for you. What happened here was Jesus became humble, compassionate, and he loved. He loved. He gave himself for the ones he loved unto death. Now, Jesus knew these guys. He, he had witnessed their lack of faith. He had watched them fail many times. And he could have said, they're not worthy. It's not even worth me getting down there. It's not even worthy. I, I shouldn't even have to let them wash my feet, let alone me wash their feet. And Jesus had every right to do that. There was Judas sitting there. There was Peter who was going to deny him and all the others who were going to take off. But instead, Jesus became humble, and he knelt down in front of them, and he washed the feet of humanity. Really, he, they all represented us that day as Jesus washed their feet. And he did exactly what he did as an example, washing their feet on the cross when he took our place, and he died on the cross. He served. He served us. I don't know if we understand that, but that's exactly what he did. He served us now some have taken this to mean that we're to practice washing each other's feet and i'm okay with doing that I, I you know we don't do that regularly but it's okay to do that but i rather think that what jesus was telling the 12 was this become like a servant assume the role of a humble domestic love others even when they don't deserve it be compassionate go give yourselves to others for the sake of jesus go serve go love others as I have loved you, even those who've hurt you, even those who have betrayed you, go serve humanity. Now the culture of Muncie First Church must become a culture of service, and service is not done by the 20% that Ian mentioned a couple of weeks ago or even last week. It's not done by the 20% and the other 80% don't have to get involved. I believe that all of us who have had our feet washed by Jesus on the cross are called to go out and to wash the feet to serve others. All of us who are where we are without any help, who have achieved all the good things in our life and don't need Jesus and don't need anyone to help us, you're free not to serve. 
But the rest of us, we need to be serving because we have been served. We are called to serve, to love like Jesus. With that in mind, there's nothing, hear me clearly now, there is nothing beneath our dignity. There's nothing beneath our pay grade. There's nothing that we can say, well, I'll leave that for him because, you know, he's kind of a, an ordinary guy, but I'm, I'm a little special. There's nothing like that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is quoted as saying that when Jesus calls you to die, he, or call, when he calls you, he calls you to come and die. And that's exactly what I'm talking about here. When you are called by God, when Jesus Christ calls you to be his child, when he forgives you of your sin, his call is not, hey, come let me wash your feet a little bit and I'll try to spruce you up just a little bit. He's calling you to come and to die, to lay your life down, to put it down and say, I'm done, now you live through me. For many, maybe the most, uh, the idea of Christianity is simply this. We simply ask, what can God do for me? Have you ever done that before? You know, maybe not intentionally. But if you think about what you say and how you live your life, how many of us have said, okay, what can God do for me? I, I need my sins forgiven. God could do that. Can God forgive my sins? Yeah. I need my marriage healed. Can God heal marriages? Absolutely. If God is real, he'll prevent suffering. And so we... We get angry when, when, when people suffer. Somehow in our minds, we think God should have prevented all suffering. And our frequent prayer is this, bless me, Lord, please, bless me, bless me, bless me. Or in other words, God, do it for me. But the reality is, I think that Jesus has made it clear that the kingdom life is a life of laying down our life. It's not a matter of us asking God, what can you do for me? It's God, thank you for what you've done for me. Now here's my life in exchange do with it as you see fit. It's a life of picking up the towel for the sake of Christ and the kingdom. And I honestly, I honestly think that's a huge struggle for most of us. I know it's a struggle for me. I know that at times I sit here and I wrestle with the idea of how in the world can I lay my life down? When I first became a pastor, I was serving and I started pouring out my life and I was working tons of hours. I mean, I was just pouring myself into the, trying to resurrect a dying church in the Chicago area and no one seemed to notice and no one seemed to care. And I began to be very frustrated with all the things that were happening and all the time that I was spending. And I became angry with people because they didn't seem to notice and no one seemed to appreciate. They, they didn't do any nice things like this. It was just me out there by myself most of the time, knocking on the doors there again breaking one of the principles of never do life alone out there knocking on doors at night in the cold and in the rain and thinking oh man I'm the only person on the oh, God must love me more than them because I'm doing more for him than anyone else I mean I was walking around with all these chips building up on my shoulder and I felt used and I got to a point where I felt really burned out and I went to a minister and mates retreat down in, in uh, Indiana down Turkey Run that we had that year and I met a guy named Dr. Paul Cunningham. He was one of our general superintendents at the time. Dr. Cunningham had pastored Olathe College Church for many, many years, 30-some years total. And it had gone from startup, basically, of a few people to where it ran thousands. And he had started a college. And I mean, it was a, an amazing ministry story. And uh, I went up to him and I asked him this question. I said, Dr. Cunningham, how did you serve all those people all those years without burning out? I need to know. And he told me this, he said, I never served people. 
I went, whoa, what, what? You know, I mean, how could you be a pastor and never serve people? And he said, I served Jesus. I served Jesus by serving people. Whether they notice or not, I don't care. I wasn't serving them. I was serving Jesus. And he always noticed. And he said, I never get tired of pleasing Jesus. And I went, wow, I've been doing it wrong. And what a difference it made. The call, the mandate, our church culture is to be a culture of service. Who and what and how do we serve? The simple answer is, is that the call to serve is for all people. Every one of you sitting here today are called to serve. There's not one of you can say, well, I've done my part. If you're saying I've done my part, you're in trouble. Because you haven't done your part. You're still breathing God's air. He still expects. I should hear an amen. All right, thank you. We are called to serve. Secondly, we are called to serve Jesus. Not each other, not those people out there, just called to serve Jesus. All out for Jesus, just giving him everything. And we serve anywhere and anytime there's a need. There is no place too high and no place too low. First thing we do is that we got to start serving at home. The very per- first place we must love others as Christ loved us is at home. Got to serve at home. Every one of us do our part at home. You don't serve uh, you know, others if you won't serve at home. You got to serve the wife that you don't get. You know, you got to serve her. And you got to serve the husband who is kind of an idiot at times. You got to love your difficult wife like Christ loved you. And you got to love that husband again. It needs to become a race between you and your spouse for the back of the line as you put their needs ahead of you. What would that look like if all of a sudden all of us were racing to the back of the line and say, no, you first, you first, you first, you first. You know, Andy Stanley says that if, if we would really love like that, all we would need in town is stop signs, stop lights. Just so we'd know who was first. Because everybody would be sitting there and nobody would go anywhere. Just you first, you first, you first. It means that you quit being the master and you take off your robe and you wrap the towel around your waist and you do the dishes and you do the picking up and it doesn't matter male or female you clean up the garage you pray for each other and you pray together you turn off the hallmark movie and watch the football game or you turn off the football game and watch the hallmark movie you put on the ugly sweater in july in august or whatever they start playing those things i think it was july this year and you just do whatever you got to do because you love her and you get her a drink so she can put her feet up And you never, ever help her with the kids. You instead do your part because they're your kids. And we serve at the church. You know, it's not a job of the few who work at the church to serve everyone else. I'm the pastor of the church, so you pay me, and I I help to keep watch over the flock, and we do some certain things. But, uh, you know, I pray, I preach messages, we try to learn and teach. But some of you are teachers and bankers and you're businessmen and nurses and you get paid to do a job. And then we all volunteer and we all serve together here at the church. Now, I work several hours every week. I never say much about it. But I come over here and I do things that are not in my job description here at the church. You say, why do you do that? Because I volunteer just like you do. I can't expect you to come and volunteer your time if I won't volunteer my time. So I do my job, 
And I know exactly when I've finished my job. And then I work at the church to serve. Fixing the mowers is not part of my job description. Seriously not. But I love to do it. It's fun. I enjoy it. And it's part of my volunteer service to the church. When we see trash, it doesn't matter who dropped it. We pick it up. You know, when I walk in here, I look at the landscape. If I see trash in there, we go get it. It's called serving. When someone spills their coffee, you don't go, Billy, somebody spilled their coffee. You go get the mop. I know this is simple, but it's important we hear this. If the bushes need trimming, you don't go tell Keith, who's in charge of maintenance, you go get your hedge trimmer and you help trim the bushes. And you get the place ready for visitors. And if it's slick outside, you don't go, well, that's not my concern. You walk out there, you get your coat on, you walk out there, and you help those people who are older or who can't walk on the ice, and you make sure they get in here safely. And if there's no one to greet, you go greet. You don't come and tell me. You just go greet until something takes place like it's supposed to. And if children's teachers aren't there, then you go volunteer and you teach. Because they're not my children, they're not Debbie's children, they're your children. Even if you're 90 years old, they're your children. It's a race in the church to get to the back of the line to meet the needs of others so they will see Jesus. My main concern is not that this building gets better. I mean, I hope someday we can do a lot of remodeling. I see things that could be done, but I don't care about that. I just want people to see Jesus. That's it. Third, we serve at work. You do more than your fair share. You pray for the boss who you can't hardly stand. You refill the coffee pot, even if it's not your job or your turn. Because there, it's a race to the back of the line to see that others' needs are met so they can see Jesus in you and they can see Jesus kneeling, washing their feet. And when we serve in our community, we care for the least of these. We make sure that kids who are really not our concern, I guess, but they really are because they're part of Muncie and that's our community, we make sure they have shoes and backpacks and coats and we make sure they have food and we do whatever it takes to make sure they have Christmas because they're our kids. And we feed those who can't feed themselves. Even the drug addicted who maybe brought this upon themselves because Jesus still loves them. And then what I'm going to say next is not a political statement, but we meet the migrants at the border, not with guns, but with food and water because they're hungry and they're tired. And we may have to send them back, and that may be the right thing to do, or we may welcome them in. I don't know. But I am so proud of the Church of the Nazarene because when they get there, they've got truckloads of food and water to meet them there. And that's the way we're supposed to treat people. We race to the back of the line in our community to make sure that people get a glimpse of Jesus kneeling before them with a towel around his waist, washing the dirt off the feet of the tax collector, Matthew. Jesus said simply, I can only do what I see my father do. Jesus saw his father serve all of humanity 
by sending his only begotten son to die for the lost, broken mass called humanity. He washed away the sins of the world. He washed away stuff much worse than toe jam. If God, through Jesus Christ, did that, then we are called to serve others too so that they might see Jesus through us. I got to tell you the truth. We look a lot more like Jesus on our knees washing somebody's feet than we do when we're driving around proudly saying, I'm, I'm above that. That doesn't really affect me. So how can you serve? We've identified many ways for you to begin to serve. As I said, serve at home. Don't just go to work, become Jesus. Serve at work. Find a place to serve at your church. You know what? We got these blue cards. Look just like this. You don't have any place? Sign it and just say, I don't have a place. Put your name on it. Let's find you a place. Let's get busy. There's tons of stuff around here that anybody can do. And you can serve. Even better, even better yet than that is don't wait. If you see a need, fill a need. If you see trash in the bushes, go pick it up. If you see someone sitting alone, go sit with them. Be Christ to them. Serve. Fourth, serve your community. We've all identified many places for you to do that. Let me, let me tell you about one that you may not know about. It's a really good one. This guy named Daryl. He was up here. Pastor Daryl. Raise your hand, Pastor Daryl. Raise your hand. Raise your hand, Daryl. There he is. Okay. Daryl's a little harder hearing. Sometimes he doesn't always hear me, so that's why he didn't hear me. But he did now. Daryl is leading right now three parent-affiliated churches that, be, that, that are connected to our church. That means we're the parent church, and he's got three churches that he started in nursing homes in our community. He's got at least two more that want him to start one. The other day, he contacted this lady, and she said, you're the first church that's ever called us back. I'm proud of Daryl for doing what he's doing. Amen. Because it's not easy every Sunday, and I don't know what other nights he's doing this, he'll tell you, but he, he picks up his stuff, he loads up sound equipment and everything else, and he goes out there, he plans. You know, Daryl doesn't just show up and kind of wing it. Daryl works at it. Him and his family, they go, Bennett goes with him, and, and they go out and they serve, and they do music, and they care for these people that no one else cares about anymore, that have been warehoused in some ways. And i got to tell you what, he's got three of them. And so go see Daryl. He needs help. He needs help setting up. He needs help being there with him. He needs help singing. You know, some of you, you go, well, man, we don't sing the hymns anymore. We don't ever get a chance to sing in church anymore. Can I tell you something? Go sing with Daryl. Because if you can't go sing with Daryl, you don't get to sing here. That's just the facts. Because Daryl's doing everything that he's doing is every bit as important as what we're doing here for a group of people who need Jesus' love. And guess what? If we can get those others started, then we're influencing people. We're changing lives. Because, you know, when Oscar Clark was here, he was an old, you know, a lot of you don't know Oscar, but Oscar was an older gentleman that worked here as a, as a, a volunteer, basically, uh, staff, and called on the elderly and uh, the hospital and the people that were sick and shut in. And uh, he's a, he was a, a, a father to Louise and... and uh, you know, and to, to Norma and Mary and his grandkids and his great grandkids are, are people like uh, uh, Brooke and Debbie 
Gary is his granddaughter. I mean, you know, these are the uh, Tish and Stephanie, their granddaughters. I mean, there's still a bunch of them left. Their influence runs deep. And Oscar would stand up here and tell funny jokes, and everybody laughed. They were actually kind of corny, but we laughed because he's old. He he just loved Oscar. He was just a great guy. But I'm going to tell you something funny, or not funny, something he told me. He told me, he said, you know what? Those years that I served those people in the nursing home and in the hospital, I led more people to Jesus than I ever did ever in my life before. And, and you know, what you're doing, Daryl, is a good work. It's an important work. And we need to get behind them. And there's no reason why some of you can't go say, Daryl, hey, I want to help. I want to help. I want to serve. Go see Daryl. Al Holdren has, uh, as you know, a list of projects and ministry in our community that we're serving. And, and the, the list is huge. And if you can't find something on there, then we'll, we'll see if we can find something else. But there's a huge list of things that, that need to be done. Just last night, a couple of the small groups went together and they went over to Bob Ball's church over Blood and Fire and they served. It's life-changing. A bunch of you go to the mission every Sunday morning and you serve. They, we, we feed the Muncie Mission every Sunday morning breakfast, in case you didn't know that. You know, and, and, and I don't say that to brag. I'm saying this. People are serving, but there's places to serve. You need to get in. We're getting ready to have secret family. Serve. We're getting ready to do a lot of things. Just get in there. Find Al and tell him, I'm here, I'm ready to serve. Or fill out the blue card and just say, hey, get this to Al. Get him my name. We'll find you a place to, to tie in. What can I do? Serving others is a part of our DNA. It, it's who we are. It's part of our DNA. It's our culture. It's not something that we do when we're here at church and then the rest of the week I make it about me. It's, it's part of our DNA. It means that I, I can't live unless I'm doing it. It's part of what I do. It's what Jesus has said. He saved me to do good works. It's what the Bible says. And, and I look the most like Jesus when I serve. So where are you at right now in this? My question simply is this, are you serving? You say, well, pastor, is that really that big a deal? I got to tell you, it really is. See, I think one of the reasons that the church for years now has struggled and bounced (laughs) along kind of a bottom feeder organization is because a lot of people want to use it, but don't want to give back to it. They don't want to serve. I'm thankful for your money, by the way. Ian did a good job with that last week. I'm thankful for those of you who give. And we've seen that starting to rise, and that's a good thing. But you know what? Giving your money is not enough. We need you. We need you to get involved. Are you just a Christian to get your ticket punched for heaven? Or are you a follower of Jesus ready to take up a towel, wrap it around your waist, and get busy and serve as he did? I can't help but think of a guy that set the example for me I've mentioned his name before but I can't help it he's old and he's dead now he doesn't know that I appreciate him so much but maybe in heaven God's telling him I hope but his name is Henry Henry McNeil and Henry was probably about 60 years old when he started teaching boys and our boys class at Anderson First Church in those days was pretty rowdy Uh, later on you know like we we ran teachers off like no big deal. They just wouldn't teach. About two weeks is all anybody would last. But Henry took us on, and he stayed with us for quite a while, 
couple of years. And Henry, Henry was a, 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 he was a manager at that place called Nicholson File in Anderson. He didn't need another headache. He had plenty. And I'm sure there were days when he was looking in the mirror going, why did I volunteer to teach the boys? You know, but, but I can tell you, Saturday mornings, it wasn't unusual for Henry on his day off to get a group of boys together, take them out to Mounts Park for a hike, take us down to Irving Materials to go see the animals, or go out to the Post restaurant on uh, 67 to get a hamburger because that was Henry. It was his way of serving, and he taught us to serve by serving us. That's life-changing stuff, guys. It influenced a bunch of boys. And out of that, there's like four or five of us who are in full-time ministry today. And I have to believe that Henry McNeil had a major part in that. So Lord, right now I'm just praying, help us become servants as you were and as you are to us. You served us. We don't deserve it. Lord, you should have just said, nope, not going to do it. They messed up. They're on their own, but you didn't do it. You washed our feet. And so today, Lord, I'm inviting you to come right now and speak to hearts. If there's those who have maybe not given themselves to service because they're just too busy, they got too many other things, too many irons in the fire, then Lord, show them what you want them to do. Help people to serve. And as we sing together, Lord, I don't know if anyone wants to pray or not, and they can if they want to, but Lord, as we sing together, help us, Lord, speak to our hearts. And if God, you speak to our hearts, help us grab a blue card and write our name on it and make sure it gets turned in. And help us to find somebody, go to Daryl or go to Al or go to somebody and say, count me in, I want to be a part. Lord, make us willing to get on our knees so that others can see Jesus. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you, Lord, for what you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together.